All right, this afternoon we're going to go through um, one of the later talks in the series I do on hip-hop music. And actually, it'll cover other stuff than just that. Most of the times when I'm doing this, I'm doing this in um, urban churches around the states. And what I've learned is that, you know, as goes the United States, so goes the world. And so even in the Caribbean and um, Europe, Africa. I spoke in Manchester, England, and I was amazed at how popular American rap music is in um, Western Europe. Period. I mean, in France and in uh, and in England. So we're going to deal with some some rather heavy issues, and um, this is um, some of what we're going to be talking about. Will, will really seem kind of cutting edge, as you were. I mean, you're, you're, some of you are going to see things you probably don't ever see because you don't listen to the music or or really aren't in this world. I can tell you that. Um, Growing up in Connecticut, I grew up about an hour from New York City. Um, it took about an hour, hour and 15 minutes to get to the Bronx from where I lived. And when I was growing up in the um, 70s and 80s, hip-hop music came on the scene like a flood. Um, in 1979, an album, uh, a song was released called Rapper's Delight. Um, kind of a classic rap song now. Um, and it was one that said hip-hop, hip-hip-hop, hip-hip-hop, you don't stop rock. You probably heard it, even had an old lady do it in a movie. Um, well, some movie, the old lady was there rapping the same song. So it came out, and that was it. I mean, after that, um, Russell Simmons, who we'll talk about a little later on, began Def Jam Recordings, and then Run DMC, LL Cool J, and pretty quickly, um, modern American culture began to really um, acquiesce to urban hip-hop culture. And so that now you have artists um, that are of all ethnic backgrounds. You have artists that are of really from all different kinds of neighborhoods. Um, and you have everybody listening to it. Everybody's listening to it. If you go to the finest Hollywood um, you know, event and they have an after party, you're going to hear hip-hop music. Um, this has become the music that has kind of taken over. This particular talk focuses on the aspect of the music that actually encourages or uh, kind of enables spiritualism to be taught to those who get into this music. Um, there was a time when, you know, black America really didn't get into anything that seemed like it might be spooky. There, there was just not room for it. Um, they had Earth, Wind, and Fire. They had Parliament in the 70s, but there was nothing like when you look back at um, KISS, Remember KISS, K-I-S-S, um, and other groups that were like just scary to look at. There was no real equivalent, except maybe Bootsy Collins, in the, in the black music world. What I want to show you is that this, obviously, this phenomenon has changed, and the devil has found a new way. And I'm hoping that some of you now, when you, some of you as, as healthcare students, that you, when you deal with patients, um, if you're trying to witness, that you'll get a better understanding of kind of the, the thinking and the logic that pushes much of our culture today and be able to better witness to them. So I know most of you don't listen to the music, so I'm not going to be probably beating you upside the head about the music itself, but hopefully you'll be better able to relate to people who do listen to the music. Before we go into, the, into this, let me just have a word. Of, let us just have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you. We ask for your Holy Spirit, and we ask, Lord, that you would show up in this place. Be with this presentation, we pray. Amen. All right. I want to start with a verse. It says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. 
For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the world. Walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. I love that text. That text is a statement not only about where we should take our stand on right and wrong. It's clear that we ought to take our stand for right. But it also is a statement about where we were as when we were in the world, when we were contrary to God's will, and what we have become when we accept God, and when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. The, the scripture says, you were once darkness. Sometimes darkness. I mean, literally, you were the source of evil. Your actions, the old man in you was that. And he says, but now you are the light of the world. Walk as children of the light. So you can't say you've made the transition from darkness to light and then be a light bulb that doesn't give light. You can't say you've made the transition out of the world and yet all of your lifestyle, all of your actions, your tastes, your ambitions are all still the tastes and ambitions of the old man. Something's wrong with the process if what you desire is what you say you've escaped from. And then it says, we ought to reprove them. We as Christians ought to be willing to stand up and say, no, that's not right. This is Genesis 1, 3, 1, Genesis 3, 1 to 5. The encounter of Eve and the serpent. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast that God made. And he said unto the woman, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, you should not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said, ye shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I want to say that this text is important. It sets the stage that the devil will almost always manifest himself through a medium. If the devil had appeared at the tree in his angelic form, do you think Eve would have stayed there and conversated with him? Theoretically, at least, she probably would have run. Theoretically, she wouldn't have stayed there. But when she looked up and this serpent with its brilliance, into that time serpents are supposed to have had wings, they're supposed to be shiny, wonderful, beautiful creatures. There's, no, there's, no, there's a reason that every tradition on earth has a dragon. The dragon was this, this the, was the, the, to me, is the serpent before sin, the winged, fire-breathing, able to speak, intelligent, sophisticated. She was drawn to this creature, and when it began to speak, it played to her weaknesses. The serpent was so wise, it knew what Eve wanted. The scripture says when she saw that it was good to make her wise, and she saw that it was good to eat, she ate of it. Don't miss the, the fact that the devil is a master at using a medium, somebody to put in front between him and you so that you are not so frightened by him. Even Jesus, when he was dealing with Peter one time, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee hence, Satan. He's looking at Peter, but he's speaking to Satan. Why? The devil likes to speak through us. Judas is at the Last Supper. He's just sopped with Jesus, he's just eaten with Jesus. He's just had his feet washed by Jesus. As he gets up to leave the room, the scripture says that the devil enters into Judas while Judas is still in the presence of Jesus. So just being around the church is no safeguard. 
Just being around here doesn't save you. Judas was there at the Last Supper, one of probably the greatest worship services and, and holy services ever kept. Jesus himself washed the feet of the disciples. Yet, in that room, Satan filled Judas. Revelation 12 says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down among you, having great wrath, for he knows he has what? Short time. The devil is mad. He knows he only has a short time. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave, it was clear to Satan the gig was up. He was finished. It was all over with. There was no chance he was ever going to take over heaven. He was never going to get above God. He understood this. And he was cast to earth permanently. That's what that means. When he knew he was going to be stuck on earth permanently, he got angry and he looked around and he realized he's, he, he can't get himself back to heaven, but he can hurt God. How does he hurt God? By causing us to be lost. Do you realize that you now, we become the center of the battle between good and evil. Each of our lives is ground zero. Because if the devil can get you to forget God, to turn your back on him, to reject him and be lost, the devil then has a chance to actually harm God, injure God, hurt God, because God loves you that much. So the Bible says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. That means us. Be careful. There's only a short time left. Yet it's ironic that the devil who, who has lived for thousands and thousands of years is wise enough to know there's only a short time left and wise enough to get angry. Yet we who are of the advent hope sometimes act as if we have all the time in the world. The devil knows he doesn't have much time. And the serpent cast out of his mouth, I, I talked about this text last night, Revelation 12, 12 and 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that she might be carried away of the flood. So the dragon still speaks. This is a group called the 3-6 Mafia. And the kids at church would often defend it. They're not, they don't worship the devil. I said they're the 3-6 Mafia, the 6-6-6 Mafia. What makes you think that they wouldn't love the devil? And of course, much of their lyrics, as I'll show you later on, is satanic lyrics. You can see one guy there has his hand in the symbol of Baphomet, the guy in the bottom right corner, um, which, is a, which is a satanic symbol. It's a symbol that they, even at rock concerts to this day, they'll throw up their hands and wave their hands in that symbol because it, basically it's a way to conjure up demons and get demonic strength. So here's the 3-6 Mafia, which is one of the most popular rap groups today. They won an Academy Award recently for the song, It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp for the movie Hustle and Flow. They won an Academy Award. Please, I mean, I mean that, that, that blew me away. I mean, much greater singers and entertainers have not won Academy Awards for songs they put in movies, and they did. So, music has been used since ancient days in spiritual warfare. Saul and David, the scripture says, and I got this from G. Craig Lewis, who does the, the series the Truth, the Truth Behind Hip Hop, the scripture says that when Saul was so angry that David was called, he played his harp, and David was able to play an evil spirit out of Saul. Now I want to suggest that if you can play an evil spirit out of someone, is it inconceivable that you could play an evil spirit into someone? Now, when I say that, I don't simply mean play like a harp. I mean, when you look at the, 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 rev the technological revolution in iPods and other um, small portable devices, you know, when, I, when we were, most of us were probably growing up, if you wanted to listen to music and you didn't want your parents to know, they were going to at least see their headphones. 
Today they've got, you know, they got these fancy little headphones you can kind of hide and tuck away. Kids can go to sleep. A lot of the kids at church say they go to sleep with, the, with the, listening to the music. So that one CD or those one group of songs play over and over and over again all night long into their heads. And then they come to church and they can't sit still. They can't sit through a church service. Why? Because you've given yourself over to other spirits. The scripture says you can't walk with two spirits. You can't have two masters. One of the, one of the two of them is going to have sway in your life. And so when you sit there and you're listening to this stuff, and I'm going to show you some of the lyrics in a minute, when you listen to that stuff over and over and over again, it begins to have a powerful effect on you. The three Hebrew boys, when, when um, Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to bow and worship the idol, what did he do? He played music. Aaron and the golden calf, music. They partied. And since the advent of rock and roll in America, rock and roll, America has been under the influence of the enemy through popular music. So there are big deceptions. And these are deceptions I talk about when I'm speaking in the, in the cities. And it's one of them is that you are God. Somebody came to me afterwards last night and said that they were um, into the hypnotist movement and, um, and hypnosis. And one of the things that they taught in these new age belief systems is that you are God. That is a, a, one of the teachings of the new age movement. Ironically, it is the exact same Thing that the devil said to Eve, you shall be a God. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Same exact teaching. Well, one of the ways that this is manifested in modern times is in the teaching of, an, of a group called the nation of Is the 5% nation of Islam. Most of you have heard of Louis Farrakhan, did the Million Man March. He, every now and again, he pops up, something happens, he shows up. Um, but they, there's a splinter group that came out of the nation of Islam called the 5% nation of Islam. The 5% nation of Islam taught that the black man is God and that the white man is the devil. I know, it hurts, hurts to say it. I always say this when I'm in Brooklyn and places where they really have a lot of 5%ers. I say, well, you know, God has a hard time getting a job, doesn't he? Some of you got that. <laughs> Most are unemployed. I'm like, well, that's not a strong hand of divinity. But this was the teaching, and I want to submit to you that most of the rappers you see on television, Jay-Z, the Wu-Tang Clan, um, Big Daddy Kane, the rappers from way back till today, most of them, Alicia Keys even, Erica Badu, most of them subscribe to the teachings of the 5% Nation of Islam. Not so much even nowadays in the racial overtones that it was created to have, but on the premise that they are God. So they call the men gods and the women are called earths. Almost like Mormonism. You start seeing all of these connected belief systems as you start to study. All these weird things start to kind of overlap. And, and Mormonism for many years was based on race. Up until 1968 or 72 when, the, when their president and prophet said, no, actually, blacks can be accepted into the church. Same principle in reverse. The concept that you are a god or you will become a god, that was one of the earliest deceptions. The Bible is inaccurate. Almost every one of these things attacks the Bible. Whether it's Rastafarianism, they say the Bible is, 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 a, is a European Bible, it's the wrong Bible, and they have a Maccabee Bible. If it's Jehovah's Witnesses, they say the Bible is wrong. The Mormons say the Bible's not complete, you need a Book of Mormon. If you, everybody has an, either an addition or a subtraction or, or, or a change to make in the scripture, somehow the Bible is wrong. Smoking marijuana. Now those who say you smoke marijuana and you get spiritual connections. You know, they said that the Native Americans used to smoke to get connections to the spirit world. That's called getting high. That's called too much dopamine and, 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 uh, um, and adrenaline running around in your head. 
That's what it's called. And it, it really isn't anything spiritual except that you probably open yourself up to spirits, demonic spirits. Um, race as religion, sexy rather than righteous, drugs as spiritual, false religions, violence as a solution and is glorified. So 1 Samuel 15.23 says, for, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. When I talk to teenagers, I always say that. I say, remember that being rebellious just to, for the sake of rebellion, just to throw a monkey wrench in whatever's going on, is like trying to practice witchcraft because it is the attempt to manipulate and control somebody with a negative or an evil uh, force or pers of persuasion. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Isaiah says, for thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, Isaiah 47.10, for thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, thou hast said, none see, seeth me, thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee, and thou hast said in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. They have said in America, I am, and none else beside me. No society has ever been as self-centered as ours. I see women come into the urgent care after they've had spent $10,000, $12,000 on plastic surgery that really they did not need. Now with the complications, I saw a woman where, the, where her, her tummy tuck exploded and she, blood was pouring out of the side of her, of her, of her, of her midriff and, her, and actually like a sacket was collecting and she's yelling at me, do something. And I'm like, I didn't do it. <laughs> the plastic surgeon will be here as fast as they can get here because I won't even touch this. We're so self-centered that any, we, we want, we want physical perfection. We, we believe that we are the center of the universe. Each one of us. Our whole culture has gone that way. But that is a, a, an evil way to be as a society. And you see the, the effects of it. You see that we, that the poor remain neglected. Even the churches, as much as we, they talk about ministry, most of the churches do nothing for those that are poor. The scripture talks about helping the widow and the fatherless. Most churches have no real program to help single mothers or fatherless children. Galatians 5 says, 5 and verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emotions, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There's no mincing of words. There's a long list of stuff there. Witchcraft being one of them. I mean, adultery, fornication, there's a lot there. But when you look at it, one of them is drunkenness. One of them is murders. Because what you'll notice is being pushed on the youth of America today through popular culture is all of these things. I don't know that there's anything on this list that is not intricately woven into almost any movie, television show, or, 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 or artist that comes out to sing a song. It is as if they are trying to pull the card from out of the people's pocket that would allow them to get into the kingdom of God. Variance? Variance would be going off, off course. Going away from where God would have you to go. Genesis 6.11, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. It was not very long before the earth became so violent, God decided his spirit would not always strive with man and God decided to destroy the earth by flood. In the 1980s, urban America was hit with a perfect storm. There was an introduction of something called crack cocaine. 
Many of you think about crack distantly. I grew up, when we left Connecticut, my mother moved us to Miami. We lived in a section of Miami called Perrine. We lived on this side of Richmond Drive. On the other side of Richmond Drive, just a block and a half from our house, was one of the highest crack um, um, infested neighborhoods in the, in the country. We, you would, you would, it's something I never saw in Connecticut. You would drive the streets and there would be people just wandering aimlessly in the night. This big, skinny as a rail, only wandering, trying to figure out how they would get their next hit of crack cocaine. When crack cocaine, when crack and cocaine was released on urban America and drug dealers took it and began to sell it, it was as if a plague was released on urban America, and especially black America. This rapidly increased the number of men going to prison. Rapidly increased the number of uh, unmarried women having children. Rapidly increased the number of gangs and gang violence and, and street wars over turf and territory. Instantaneously, the introduction of this came in. At the same time, the, the Crips, the Bloods, and other gangs and cartels began to become popular all across the country. And all of this happened, fatherlessness became a plague, but all of this happened at the same time that hip-hop music began to rise to prominence. So all of a sudden, all of this, it was like a perfect storm. When you look at the condition of urban America, understand that it was like a perfect storm hit. And all at once, and at the same time, people began to take church more lightly. The church itself began to change. So you got all of these groups. You got NWA from Compton, which made gangster rap music super popular and all of a sudden they began to they began to rap about just shooting killing and being a gangster when i was growing up if someone called you a thug it was an insult it was an insult to be called a thug but by the time tupac shakur who's the next picture over by the time he started rapping he put a tattoo across his chest that said thug life all of a sudden thug, being a thug went from being an insult to being something that you should want to be so now you see the kids with thug tattooed on them, thug, you know, tattooed on them, or the shirt says thug, or, 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 or some remnant of being a thug. And the thugs, of course, come, from what I understand, they come from ancient um, pagan religions where, where these men would sneak into the temples as people were leaving their gifts to these pagan gods, and they'd beat the people up and steal what they had to offer the pagan gods. And in many cultures, they were called thugs. And what I'm learning, the Bible says... Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So what happens when you have a generation of young men, especially, grow up and want to call themselves thugs, pimps, players? What happens when that is the term that they use for their own self? If life and death is in the power of the tongue, if when you speak something, the scripture says, you speak it. And the Hebrew word uh, for tongue is like the yad. It's as if a hand comes out and begins to form what you're saying especially as it relates to yourself. If you grow up and being a thug and a gangster is what's popular and accepted, you become, it's like self-fulfilling prophecy. Most people don't know, Tupac actually was not a thug. Tupac went to the School of the Arts in Baltimore, Maryland. He, was an he studied acting and he, and he studied music there. He was not a street thug. He had some troubles growing up, but he wasn't some simple common street criminal. That's what he portrayed himself to be. And that's what everybody bought into. And, and actually, he and the next guy at the bottom left, uh, no, the notorious B.I.G., were shot dead, murdered in the streets, less than a year apart, because both of them wanted to be pro, you know, promoted as thugs and gangsters and criminals. And ironically, what they spoke came to pass. They were murdered. Tupac murdered on a strip in Las Vegas. Um, Biggie Smalls murdered in the streets of Los Angeles. What they spoke came to pass. 
The last one there is a guy named 50 Cent. And 50 Cent picked this up. He said what they said is what came back to get them. So 50 Cent said, I will never talk about dying. He said, everything I'm, I'm only going to talk about killing. And he named his next album The Massacre. We'll maybe get into 50 some more in a minute. Now this guy is um, DMX. It stands for Dark Man X. You look at this album cover. It's the one on the first slide that I showed you. It shows him with the M over his head so that the, so that the M itself helps to make horns on his head. He's covered in blood, and the name of that album is Flesh of My Flesh and Blood of My Blood. On the album, he has a song where he actually has a conversation with a demon. He speaks to a demon. He has a conversation with a demon, and that's one of the songs. Snoop has a song like that, too. That's why I was so amazed when Snoop came here and visited our children's hospital not too long ago. If I was pulling the trigger, I would never have made the decision to bring Snoop Dogg to Loma Linda. Um, But because of what he represents. The people in the community know what he represents. We may think he's going to bring money, but I doubt he gave that much money. DMX, he has a song, he says, y'all going to make me lose my mind up in here, up in here. Everybody was singing this song, it was a popular song. They didn't know it was a song about gang rape in prison. I tell you, this stuff is not easy stuff to swallow. He has a, a lyric where he says, I sold my soul to the devil and the price was cheap living life on this level and it's twice as deep. He says, I sold my soul to the devil. This is what he says. Yet I go to churches where the kids are arguing with me that he's a Christian artist. He has a, he has a prayer at the end of his album. He prays. He does this. He does that. He's going to change his name. He, he's a good guy. Uh, good guys usually don't say they sold their soul to the devil last time. I checked. Satan is violent and only seeks to destroy. Murder being the opposite of creation. Satan was pleased with the murder of Christ. And who was really behind the tide of murder and crime in the world? Well... Here's another, here's the guy, Snoop Dogg, that I was just talking about. And here he's interviewed on black entertainment television. And I tell you, as an African-American who, you know, you know, I guess I, I lived, I grew up in Connecticut, so I was, I, it was a nice place to grow up and be black. But Miami was a little different story. I faced a lot of racism in Miami. I, I was bused to a high school where every day when I went to school, there was racial epithets spray painted on the walls the Jewish synagogue across the street was vandalized constantly with swastikas painted all over it so you'd figure you'd get a black entertainment television network and they would at least be edifying after all of the years of everything that's happened and they would teach noble character education, hard work no they don't instead they actually promote many of the stereotypes blacks have tried to escape the, 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 the raunchy videos the the, the derogatory terms for women, all of it is promoted. Now, a lot of people wouldn't stand up here and tell you this, but it's the truth. If anything, it's only done black America harm. It hasn't done them much good, except probably made a few people some money. On August 22nd of 2002, Snoop Dogg was interviewed, and he says in this interview that he has given up weed and alcohol. He says, the sharpest move I made as a businessman, I stopped smoking and drinking. That was the sharpest move I could have possibly made. He said, I've been leading niggas off the cliff for five to six years, driving the car with a gang of niggas like, come on, let's go, he said, as he emulated a car revving its engine and going over a cliff. I say to young people when I'm in Brooklyn or Los Angeles or Miami, he has just admitted his agenda. I don't think it's really changed either, because I don't think he's really given up alcohol or marijuana. But he's admitted his agenda. He has been driving you off the cliff. You have been spending your hard-earned money to buy an album where the artist admits 
that his music drives you off of a cliff. And it's not a physical cliff, it's a spiritual cliff. It drives you into the abyss. This guy came out here, this is Jay-Z. I talked about him last night, he made a song called Lucifer, and they say he's a Luciferian, he's a, he's a strong 5%er, but I believe he is a strong, he's, you see him in commercials now like crazy, he's a part owner of the um, um, New Jersey Nets that are gonna be moving to Brooklyn where he's from. And he's a brilliant businessman, but he has brought in a lot of spiritualism and a lot of dark things into his music. He has a song about Lucifer being the dawn of the morning and, and almost as if the song in some ways would be giving excuse to Lucifer. Um, he says he is Jehovah. He has a lyric. He says, I am Jehovah God MC. He calls himself Jehovah God. He says, I am the Pope John Paul of y'all, the way y'all all follow Jigger. He says that he says or does something and all of young America will follow him. To put this to a test, there, there was a time when everybody, there was a big craze, were all wearing throwback jerseys. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And they would wear the old O.J. Simpson jersey from, from USC or from Buffalo. Or they'd wear an old Doug Williams jersey or old uh, Doug Flutie or, or, or an old... Um, John Elway jersey, they're called throwbacks. You find an old jersey that's unique and you go and they were buying these jerseys. Everybody was wearing them. It was a craze a few summers. Jay-Z said, you know what? I can change what everybody in, in all these young kids in America wear. And he said, from now on, no more throwback jerseys. I'll never wear another one. He said, from now on, I'm gonna wear button-up shirts. Within two or button-up, just regular, you know, button-up shirts. With big collars usually and stuff, but button-up shirts. And he said, I'll wear, and sure enough, Overnight, throwback jerseys went out of style almost instantaneously. You could be ridiculed for walking down the streets with a throwback jersey on in most cities in America. He did it to show his power. Now, he is similar to a guy named Russell Simmons. Russ, Russell Simmons, every morning when he's, he was aired on Yo! MTV Cribs. I didn't see the episode, but I, I've seen, I've read the, 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 the footage on it. Russell Simmons is the founder of Def Jam Records. He's responsible for most of the artists you've heard about in rap music. Uh, uh, Multi, multi, multi-millionaire, probably worth six, seven hundred million dollars. He makes fat farm clothing, like Jay-Z makes rockerwear clothing. That's why I don't wear some of those clothes, because I don't want to support what these guys are doing. But Russell Simmons, every morning before he goes out, he bows and he worships the Hindu god of the dead, a god called, I believe, Khalid. And he bows as a blue image with multiple arms. Each hand is holding a, a weapon, a, a knife, a blade, a, some weapon of... A, a murderous weapon in each hand and it's a very evil looking face and he bows down and worships this idol prays to this God for strength then goes to Def, Def Jam recording in order that he can make the music that young America will listen to to make the clothes that young America will wear talk about spiritualism and culture and spiritualism and hip hop that's how profound it is now that there's that much of a connection that people are praying to the gods of the world, literally praying to them in order to go out after that and to then try and get young America to buy their records. You want to know why the music has the quality it has? Why does the lyrics it has? It's because it's being made by the enemy. So some guys said, well, they're going to come out and be more Christian. So this guy, Kanye West, made a song called Jesus Walks With Me. The song took over. Christians started playing it like crazy. They said, wow, look, here's a rapper that's famous, and he made a Christian song. He even got play, he even performed in churches. But the song had really nothing to do with Jesus. 
And as you can see, he wants to dress up like Jesus. He's actually a Catholic, um, but is getting into some bizarre spiritual uh, lyrics. And here he's on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, and he's supposed to be like Christ being in his suffering. Well, I was hoping I had, had the other one. Let me go back for a second. What he's done in the, in the song, though, is he's done what I was talking about a little bit this morning. He garbed drug selling in Christianity. Because the real point of the song is that when he goes out to sell drugs, when he goes out to do his dirt, he hopes that Jesus walks with him. Because his mother, in the song, his mother says to him, he says, my mother told me that only Jesus could save us. He said, mama, I know I act a fool. He says, I'll be gone till November. I got packs to move. I hope Jesus walks with me. It's very different than being a Christian to say, I'm going to go commit crime, sin, murder. I hope Jesus is there. Now, this one even gets a little more disturbing. This is a group called the Two Live Crew. Some of you might remember that they were arrested in Florida because their stage performances were so raucous and so sexual that it, it broke um, some of the county's um, uh, indecent exposure and these indecent behavior laws in the county. So they were arrested, and then he came out with this whole thing about the First Amendment, I mean the Second Amendment, and he, he was fighting uh, for free speech, and this is wrong, this is America, I should be able to say whatever I want to say. So he came out with a song, Abandoned America, because they started banning his music all over the country. His lyrics to this song go like this. This is the verse being said by the guy on the far right. He says, uh, let the beatings begin. The name of the song, by the way, is, say, is S&M, Sadikism and Masochism. He says, I'm a part of this, sold 10 million copies. I'll throw that in. I'm a part of this just like you. He says, I'm a disciple of Satan with work to do. He says, I'll ride you to your death and squeeze blood from your breast, and I'll work you like a sex slave. You get no rest. I can see it in your eyes. The devil's deep inside. You're a masochistic freak in disguise. Your love is your pain, and pain is your gain. You're forced to fit to feel the strain. You worship the bed with your life, holding sessions of confession every moonlit night. Ten million copies that album sold. Everywhere you went, every party you went to, in that time that this album was out, this music was playing. And the young people, when I go to churches, are often saying, it doesn't affect me. This does, it doesn't bother me. The secular music can't get to me. Here's where they're telling you who the source of the music is. He says, I'm a disciple of Satan. And I know some of this is kind of stuff that normally I, you wouldn't want to be discussing in church. But the kids in church are listening to it. It's not like, most of them are like, oh, that's an old song. We don't listen to that anymore. That's what they tell me. You're behind the times. But I'm trying to make the point. The point is, who's making the music? Can you really listen to it and not be harmed? Can Eve have stayed at the tree and not have given in to Satan? If you stay there long enough, the devil is going to get you. He says it clear as day. And you, you can see that there's much more to this and to what he's saying. This is the 3-6 Mafia. And I won't read this whole thing. There's a piece in here that he says at the top, please stay sleep, please stay sleep, please stay, stay sleep. You ends stay sleep. What is he saying? The scripture says, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walketh around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil has one great wish for the people of earth, that they would stay asleep. That spiritually you won't wake up like the ten virgins. That you just stay asleep. That's the whole point. And at the bottom, again, they tell you who wrote it. He says, Satan, satanic incense were wrote on the scent. It's so sacred, created by Lucifer. 
And you can read more and more and more and more. This is the 3-6 Mafia that won the Academy Award for, the, for best music in a, in a, and best song in a motion picture for the song, It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. Who's writing the music? So what do you do? Well, the first thing I tell the young people is that they must put on the whole armor of God. They have got to begin to get ready to really know God. And I'm telling you that if there is a weakness in the armor of many of the young people in churches across the country, it's that they, have, they will not let go. And let's be honest, it's not just young people. A lot of older people will not let go of the secular music that is so damaging to your spiritual life. The Bible says to take on the whole armor of God. It doesn't make sense to wear the armor of God if you're going to drink the devil's poison. It doesn't make sense to try and put on the armor if you're going to purposefully drink that which will destroy you. And when you, we listen to these music, and I know there are probably some in here that listen to secular music, you figure out oh, the popular radio stations aren't that dangerous. Understand that the devil is in control of what happens in this world. And what I mean by that is who becomes popular, who stays famous, who has all of that is the, the devil pulls most of those strings. God allows him to pull most of those strings. The scripture talks about his ability to pull most of those strings. He has been given a lot when he gave, was given a lot when Eve and Adam sinned. He's called the prince of the air. He has been given a lot. We must be very serious that we do not do this. And this talk really doesn't focus on, on, on church music or Christian music. But let me say that it, the, the same premise pours into church music. If the person making the music has no real connection with God, what do you think happens to the quality of the music? What happens if the person really is making the music, like we discussed today, making the music just to sell records and make money? If only reason you're writing this worship song is because you really couldn't make it as a secular artist. You're only a gospel artist because you can't be the next Michael Jackson. So, and if you, and if you study gospel music, one of the things that happens is a lot of people when they are in the world and they don't do well in secular music, one of the things a lot of them do is they retreat back to their roots and go back to gospel music, get their popularity up again, and then go back to secular music. MC Hammer is a perfect example of that. Well, he went broke, filed bankruptcy after he built a $36 million home in the Bay Area. So he didn't figure that you can build a $36 million home. It's going to cost about a million dollars a year to keep it. And so he lost his home and he went back. He was on TBN preaching all the time on TBN. You know, can't touch this, preaching, right? Next thing you know, he got his popularity back up. He was back making secular music. What is the source and I mean, the Bible, I, I, when the Bible says we shouldn't judge, it means we, I can't tell you who's going to heaven or hell. But I can, the Bible does say by their fruits, you shall know them. You must be able to say, you know what? I don't know if this person who's, in, who's living this lifestyle, I mean, people fall. People make mistakes. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that you, you can only listen to someone or hear someone if they're perfect. But when someone is living a homosexual lifestyle, I'm suspect with whatever they put out for God. And I mean, it just happened this week. The guy who was the head of the um, National um, Evangelical Council, or however they, they describe it there in Colorado Springs, he was, a, he was an anti-gay marriage guy. He was thumping even the political circuit to some extent, had a huge church there, resigned after allegations, and I'm, I, I wasn't there, I don't know what happened, allegations that he was living a secret homosexual lifestyle. Now, I don't know. How do you, 
I don't know how you, I don't know how you bring that together. I don't know how you have that secret lifestyle and then try and come before the people of God and judge the very lifestyle you're secretly living. And what the devil is so sly, what he does is he allows you, when you get into sin, he allows you to put covers on yourself. He allows you to throw dirt over, like Achan. He allows you to hide your sins under your tent. He allows you to take the Babylonish garment and, and the vessels that you shouldn't have taken and hide them under your tent. He allows you to put them away. But then what the devil is a master at is eventually the devil steps back and allows your sin to be exposed. And what he really likes to do is allow people to get into position like this gentleman who's a preacher and the president of this evangelical council. He loves to have someone in position, someone who people look up at as righteous. He loves to have those people fall because then there are, for every time one of those people fall, there are dozens of people under them who will turn away and say, you know what, I'm tired of church. I'm going back in the world. This is why I warn. I warn people about trying to be upfront in church, trying to, uh, trying to always be the, the spiritual leader, always wanting positions and titles. I warn them because you then become put on Satan's most wanted list. And the devil then works tirelessly to get you to fall while you are visible to everyone. It's happened in Adventism many times. Great leaders fall or they turn from our beliefs and, and now they write magazines. I get this magazine quarterly that's all against the Adventist church because by coming out of God's church, by coming, by, you know, and rebelling against God's church or committing some terrible sin, it will cause many underneath to fall. But that's why the scripture is so careful to warn you never to put your spiritual trust in men. We are warned. We don't, you don't take, it's not because someone's a great orator not because they can sing well. That is not what qualifies them in the eyesight of God. As a matter of fact, if you really study the scriptures carefully, most of the men that God called had serious deficits. Moses couldn't speak well. He said, I can't speak well enough to go back. Now, he spent 40 years in Egypt. He was fluent in Egyptian. Yet he felt I couldn't go in there and speak. He knew the customs of Pharaoh's home, yet he felt he couldn't speak. But because of the humility that Moses gained after 40 years in the wilderness, herding sheep and cattle, in his humility, God said, now you're going to be a great leader. So what Pharaoh chose you to possibly be an heir to the throne? That's not what I called you to do. He didn't call any of us to greatness in this world. We've been called like Moses to be leaders in Israel. And so he will call you often not in your strength. He'll call you in your weakness. And so some people are waiting for that day to come when they can show up and shine and, and, and be up front. It's a dangerous place. You take on the target of the enemy. He starts working against your marriage. He starts working on your weaknesses. He knows what addictions you have. He begins to... Un, a painstakingly work methodically to get you to fall because your fall, your fall will cause many to fall. So I know most of you, when you leave Loma Linda, those of you who are students or residents, you're going to go back to local churches. You're going to be in leadership. Remember that the badge you wear has to be the badge of humility. You have got to go and like Paul says, Paul said, I am chief among sinners. Paul said, I die daily. He says, in your weakness am I made strong. So when people come and say, you know, it's all, just try harder to be righteous. Just try harder. Just grit your teeth and be more righteous. No, submit to God more. Allow him to use you. Allow God to take over. That's what you have to do. Thank you.
I saw people bundling up. You've got you to really retreat. God wants you to be humble. The story of Gideon is like that. They had, they had all these men ready to go and fight. 30,000 men. God said, no, if I send you to battle with 30,000 men, you'll think you won the battle. It's too many men. That, that, that doesn't make sense, Lord. You mean you want fewer of us to fight? Wouldn't we have better chances to glorify your name if more of us were fighting? Nope. Because if 30,000 of you win against 120,000, you're still foolish enough to believe that you won the battle. So God got it to 300 men to fight that battle. Why? Because there's no way 300 men could beat 120,000 men. Except that God fought for them. That's why I'm not caught up in numbers. I talked about that last night. I'm never concerned that the church has 30,000 members or 10,000 members. Joel Olstein's church or T.D. Jakes' church with all these people means nothing to me. God's not coming back for a, a big number. He's coming back for those who have given their lives completely to him. He will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I know you not. I never knew you, one of the gospels say. I want God to know me. And him knowing me doesn't mean I have to be in a church with 30,000 other people he may or may not know. We've got to get out of that. We've got to shake those, that thinking because we're supposed to be the remnant. The remnant has the connotation that it's not the majority. The connotation of the word says there's just a few left over. So we've got to be careful. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we have Adventists, we're like, okay, we, we're going to just, you know, we want a bigger number. We want to grow the church. It's so huge. But we've got to be careful that who comes into the church is serious about being Christian. I'll tell you a story. I was in Anniston, Alabama. We had the hardest time bringing people into the church. I was there doing family practice for two years, the residency. And I remember we had a crusade and a new pastor had come in and he was preaching, preaching. Now, what he decided to do in order to keep boost his number so he looked good to the conference is he was going to skip key pieces, key messages. So he's going to skip the health message. He's going to skip the spirit of prophecy. And he skipped a couple other ones. I didn't know he skipped. There were nights when I wasn't there, so I didn't know he was skipping messages. So we have this big baptism, eight people. That's all we could get, eight people. It was tough. Very southern Baptist part of the country, eight people. I was happy for the eight folk. They get baptized. I see one guy driving home, pulls out a cigarette, and he's smoking a cigarette on the way home, waving at me, smoking a cigarette. At the first potluck, he brought, like, pork to the first potluck. It wasn't his fault because we wanted numbers. You skipped the message that you thought would not work for him. And you know what he said? He was so angry, he felt he had been duped into baptism. And he left the church because he said, if you really believe this, you should have told me this up front. Nobody mentioned I shouldn't smoke or that smoking was bad for me. Nobody told me about clean or unclean foods. Were you trying to just trick me into your church? Numbers aren't important. We've got to be fair, transparent, tell the people what we believe. I'm not hiding. I'm proud of what I believe and who I am. And I will, I will raise these standards because I don't raise them on me. They're not raised on my logic. They're not raised on my intellect. They're raised on the scripture. They're raised on the word of God, on thus saith the Lord. 
cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation. There's nothing as an Adventist, I believe, that I cannot go back to Scripture, to the Bible and the Bible alone, sola scriptura, and find the basis for what I believe. If you find your, if you believe something that can't be backed up by Scripture, then you're in trouble. The, the Scripture has to back it up. I mean, and I'm talking key doctrinal issues. So I believe in the Bible. So people come against us. I, I don't know if you know how many websites and, and, and even conferences. The last time you guys, we, uh, Avon Hope had a, um, meetings up on the church on the hill. While the church on the hill was having that meet, set of meetings, down at the bottom of the hill, the church down there at the bottom on the, uh, off of the little side street there, was having meetings of a group of ex-Adventists angry at the church and trying to have meetings against the Adventist church. The question really becomes, because we're talking about spiritualism and we're talking about this modern culture, can you defend what you believe? Do you know what you believe? Or why you even believe it? We do ourselves a disservice when we call ourselves something that we can't even scripturally defend. So now you work at Loma Linda and you get ridiculed for being an Adventist at an Adventist hospital. You don't drink caffeine. You don't eat meat. Ha ha ha. You, the Sabbath, why, why do you still keep the Sabbath? You, 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 don't, you mean you don't take your kids roller skating on the Sabbath? You guys don't go to the movies on the Sabbath? It's a good family movie. It's good family time. Ridiculed in an Adventist institution for being Adventist. And anybody who knows me, I, I, I do not like fanaticism. I am very much against fanaticism and legalism and heaping things on people that they don't, should not have. But I'm telling you, when it comes to the core fundamental beliefs of the church, we have got to begin to be accepting of what we believe ourselves. Because then you are a worse hypocrite. You know how funny it is when I'm standing in the cafeteria at the East Campus and I'm trying and I'm getting this, my salad from a salad bar, trying to get my food, get out of there. And someone walks in, someone not, some person who doesn't know anything, it's just a patient there visiting, and they walk in and say, is that really me? And the person behind the counter, who doesn't believe the health message, of course, they just work there, Say, yeah, yeah, it's kind of this fake meat stuff. I don't know how good it is. Um, I don't know if I'd eat that if I were you. <laughs> and then they're like, well, why, why don't they have meat or, or, or pepper? Well, um, I, I don't have any idea why they do that. And then the person will say, but they have salt. Why do they have salt but not pepper? Is pepper worse for you than salt is? And then they go over to the desert dessert uh, section of the freezer and say, but they've got key lime pie and cheesecakes. Why, why would they have key lime pie and cheesecakes and not serve meat? Isn't sugar worse than meat? What do you say? What do you say when we being Adventists isn't popular? When we're finding ways to kind of hold up pieces of our beliefs. All right, we don't serve meat, but you know we're going to have the best Krispy Kreme donuts around on the counter. What do we do? How do we rectify that? God is calling some of us to rise up and say, look, it may not be pleasant, but we've got to clean the house of God. Jesus went into the temple twice and turned over tables, twice and ran out the money changers, two times. And I believe some of you are in medicine. Some of you are in physical therapy, nursing. Some of you are students or residents here in training or working here because God has called you for such a time as this so that you will not waver in holding up his standards so that you will be willing to say listen we don't have to have that there there's a healthy alternative let's find it or you know what? we don't have to play secular music at the drayson center while we're working out 
Maybe there's a way we could play something else or just don't play anything at all. Somebody has been called to be Esther, to stand up and say, listen, for such a time as this, we have got to do what God says do. And I believe that many of you in here, that's what God has called you to do. Not in in a pharisaical way, but in love. Standing on God's word, speaking up with a loud voice and saying, this is the way God has said, walk ye in it. Let's not be afraid to do that. For contact information, um, that's actually a shorter version of the one I normally do, but I want to say this. We are living in very, very difficult times. And I'm so sure that Jesus is soon to come. There's a message I preach sometime called The Message to the Last Generation on the book 2 Timothy. And I'm telling you, every day when you see what's going on in the world, you become more convinced that Jesus is going to come. More convinced that this world has to come to an end. But God needs us. The scripture says that this gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness. And then shall the end come. The question as we close this Sabbath day, as this Sabbath day comes to a close is, what side will we be on? What side of the battle are we going to be on? Are we going to choose to stand for what God has given us? I view Adventism as a privilege, not a burden. I had a friend, when I was in Aniston, there's a guy who was Adventist and he was now evangelical and he used to rail against the Sabbath. What a burden the Sabbath was. I hated it. I couldn't do anything. I said, what do you do the rest of the week? You see, I work real hard. And I love to know that there's a day when I don't care if they're going to turn off the electricity and the water. For 24 hours, I don't even think about it. For 24 hours, I don't worry about how difficult the job is, how much politics they play, how hard school is. For 24 hours, God gave me a reprieve. And all I've got to worry about for that 24 hours is being in communication with him. If you're a Christian, how could you want anything else? It doesn't even make sense. How could God's requirement of you spending time with him be a burden if you love God? That's like you're married and, and you have a date night. And every time date night comes around for you and your wife or husband, you're like, man, I got to go out with that woman again. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I got to take her to dinner and stuff my phone, man. It's not date night isn't really the problem. Your relationship is. The Sabbath isn't the issue. The health message isn't the issue. It's the relationship. So I encourage you, I encourage Avon Hope to continue doing what it's doing. This is more of a light than you would ever imagine. More of a light, more people hear about Jesus and are acquainted with Adventism in a more pure form because of what is being done here than if this was not here. So much so that I got an email. Somebody saw that I was speaking here, not this time, but the last time. Someone in a position on campus, a leadership position on campus, emailed me, by, emailed me and said, are you an Advent hoper? I said, well, sometimes. <laughs> Once in a while. She's like, oh, they're so rigid. They're so, you know, they're so, uh, you know, they're so pharisaical. I, I said, you know what? I don't know what they do when I'm not there. I said, I'm glad there's still somebody on this campus that's not afraid to be an Adventist. I'm glad that somebody's still willing to be Adventist on an Adventist campus. That we haven't all become saddleback. That we haven't all become just 
you know, the rock down the street. I don't need the rock. I don't need to be that church. Because what I understand is that when God comes, he's not coming for the size of the building. He's not coming for the, 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 the size of the band or the, or the volume of the music. He, he's coming for a church that is without spot nor blemish. He's not coming. He's coming for a group of people that together through fellowship and worship and praise have come to know him so intimately that they would lay down their lives before they would turn their back on one of God's precepts. And I believe that that is cultivated here. But that means you're going to come under attack. It means that the devil is going to try and destroy what's happening here. But I will tell you that with prayer, the enemy is flustered. He cannot move when there are people praying for what God is doing. So I encourage you to keep praying because the stuff I showed you here is just a little glimpse of some of the stuff I, I show and do. But you are now going to go into a world where demon possession and, 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 and anarchy are promoted and, and accepted on a regular basis. And I can tell you from the urgent care, I've seen kids who come in and they can't sleep. Kids tell me, I had a girl tell me she goes to sleep and when she wakes up, her room is rearranged. And she can't sleep in the room. It gets ice cold at night and all this kind of stuff. See, and I'm not a ghostbuster. I'm not like that. See, you tell me that the room gets stuff's moving around, gets cold. That's, that's exactly where I'm not going. <laughs> I am not ghostbusters. I'm not riding in there and trying to jump in and cast out demons. If the demons are happy in your room, then you and the demons need to figure out who's going to take over the room. This was a 21-year-old girl with severe panic attacks, severe anxiety disorder, severe, to the point where on her way to the urgent care that day, she said that there was demons speaking to her. Her mother began to look like a demon, and there was voices telling her to reach over as her mother was driving on the freeway and strangle and kill her mother on her way to the urgent care. Most of the other doctors would have said, they'd have heard five minutes of that, not even five minutes, they'd have heard 30 seconds of that, stepped out of the curtain, did one of those pathfinder about faces went back to the counter and said call psychiatry call psychiatry fast well I said no I took a spiritual history where did you go to school Catholic school what is it that you like to do what do you listen to what, what music what are you watching turns out she was watching all these horror films driving around a Ouija board in her trunk of her car she had a full size picture of the original movie a poster of the original movie The Exorcist on the back of her door and I said oh, and, you, and you think stuff's moving around in your room huh <laughs> well you just you just let sublet your room to the devil for free are you mad that he got took over you scared to sleep in the room you invited him in there's a there I mean we are living in that type of time and again I'm not I'm not trying to be ghostbusters and run around casting out matter of fact she acts stupid and I wouldn't have been standing anywhere near her. I'd have went to the chapel and started praying for her. But trust me, you're going into a very hostile world. The Bible says that in the last days, iniquity would abound. And because of that, the love of many would wax cold. I'll close on this note. So terrible will this world become, Matthew 24 tells us, that men will turn on each other in a way that like never before. This was shown, and CNN just did a recent um, expose and a series on the, the Democratic uh, Republic of the Congo and Sudan and some other parts of Africa. They, had a, they went to a hospital, and in this hospital, 
all the doctor took care of were rape victims. These militia would sweep into the villages and rape the women. But they didn't just rape the women. When they were finished, they would put knives or guns into their genital parts and destroy, mutilate their bodies. This doctor's job, he had 240 women at the hospital. His job was to try and repair the fistulas that were created. When the camera, CNN camera, pans onto this African doctor, and he's standing there, he's just lost, like a deer lost in the headlights, standing there as the, as the camera's rolling, and, the, and you, know, they, you know, CNN. Why do you think this is happening? He says, men, he said, have become as animals. And here's what the Bible says in Matthew 24 and verse 8. It says, uh, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9 says, after that, they turn on you. Everything you see going on in the world, all of the Guantanamo Bays, all of the Rwanda genocides, the Holocaust of World War II, all that you have seen in modern era, how terrible it is. Jesus says, listen, that's the beginning of sorrows. You know why it's only the beginning? Because right now it's just happening kind of randomly. It's just where the devil can get it to go, he's letting it go. But Jesus says, listen, the day will come when all of these evil efforts will be turned on you who call on my name. And my challenge to you is this. If you can't keep up with the footmen, if right now in times of peace we can't be Christians, if right now when we're free to worship, we're free to have big institutions, if we can't be Adventist Christians now, with the footmen. If you can't run with the footmen, how in the world are we going to run with the horses? What happens when the time of trouble really comes and when we're be really being tortured and, and persecuted because of what we believe? How will you stand then if you can't stand now? If you can't be faithful to your spouse now. If you can't be faithful to God, celibate as a single person now. If sin so easily besets you now and you're not even thinking about its consequences, do you think magically the time of trouble will come and all of a sudden you're just going to be a saint? God has given us this time to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling, to submit our wills and our lives to him because we should be humbled by the idea that the day is coming when we will truly be the center of the world's attention when it comes to persecution. I still believe that. I still believe that, and every now and again something happens and makes it crystal clear that the day will come when we will be the target. If you can't stand being ridiculed now because of caffeine and vegetarianism, how are you going to stand when just being called an Adventist is enough to make you lose your job? You can't run with the footmen. How will you run with the horses? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to serve you and to know you. Lord, the world has become only more evil, only more destructive. But right now, Lord, I'm asking for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, every one of the people under the sound of my voice, including myself, Lord, Lord, you'd begin to continue to show us our faults. Lord, let us not focus on anyone else's faults. Let, let us never do that. Instead, Father God, show us where in our own lives we need to change. Show us where in our own lives we're coming short of being all of that you would have us to be. Let us not worry about what our, our, our parents or our siblings or our children or our work uh, co-workers or, or, co or our other students in the classroom. Let us not be so focused on them. But Father God, let Israel first 
do a work of cleansing inside of Israel. Let us first call on the Holy Spirit to convict us of, uh, of the sins that we are not so willing to give up. And that includes pride and arrogance, Father. Let us not walk around thinking we're better than anyone, but Lord, let us understand that your mercy and grace and the fact that you loved us enough to allow us to know these truths should humble us. For Father God, we go out into a world that is troubled. So Father God, tonight I ask for victory over sin for each of us. Father God, tonight I ask that you'd give us the loving heart of Jesus. And Father God, when people come in contact to us, they don't get a cold, uh, 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 unreceptive feeling. But instead, Father God, that the love of Jesus would just ooze out of us. That people would come around us and want to know, what God do you serve that you're so kind and loving? So Father God, we don't try and make people see us as perfect, Lord, but we work that, Lord, they see your perfection. Lord, be with this church, the Adventist denomination. And Father God, is a great work has been and is being, being done through this, your church. And Father God, I plan on not leaving this church. So Father God, help me to be change for you in this church. Let us be the righteousness through you that you would like seen in your church. As our prayer in Jesus' name, as we close this Sabbath, bless this week, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.